You're listening to Masters of Digital Transformation, brought to you by AIM10X and hosted by Tony Saldana. Welcome to Masters of Digital Transformation. I'm your host, Tony Saldana, and each episode, we bring you industry war stories with insights into some of the top challenges around digital transformation, of course, with a focus on planning. And I've been looking forward to this episode because my guest is Ivanka Janssen, Chief Supply Chain Officer at Royal Philips. And Ivanka, before I do anything else, congratulations on the promotion. Thanks, Tony. Thank you. Ivanka and I had a conversation, as I mentioned, uh, before the holidays. And Ivanka has an incredible track record of designing and implementing global supply chain strategies, as well as applying technologies like AI and machine learning across planning and inventory and distribution. She's held senior leadership positions at Philip Morris, Diageo, and PepsiCo, of course, before moving on to Philips. Ivanka, first of all, I'm absolutely delighted to have you here with us. And for the benefit of our listeners, I'd like you to share with them your personal introduction. You mentioned when we spoke in December that you started in this career quite by accident. So tell us a little bit about your background. First of all, it's great to be here and it's great to have the conversation. So a bit about myself, I I really have grown up in supply chain. And it is not because I had deliberately chosen, you know, from the moment that I started studying, a chosen career path in supply chain. Most probably when I started studying, I didn't even know what supply chain was. <laughs> Nevertheless, my, my father, he, he always said to me, he said, Ivanka, you know, the jobs of the future are in logistics. So he was pushing me already into that direction. Mm. But I started to business economics as well as uh, international law. So I have a double master. Then from there on, I moved on to do a master in science as well as an MBA. Mm. And my first job was actually in the port of Rotterdam, a very operational job as a management trainee. And that is where basically my passion for logistics and supply chain started. Okay. And then I moved on. I I worked for Philip Morris for a number of years. I did do actually every single supply chain role that you can think of with them. And then after 12 and a half years, I moved on to the art job. I have made a sidestep in my career. So I've also been part of the commercial organization. I've been heading up global customers as well as what was back then called route to market or route to consumer. So I've been sitting on on both sides of, of the table. So I can really relate to, you know, when as a supply chain, you're not delivering on the service level of customers. That as a commercial person, a key account manager, that, you know, you can be in the dog's house of one of the <laughs> big retailers. And, you know, you have to explain why over and over again, you're not hitting the service level. And I think that is helping me quite, quite a bit in, in understanding also the commercial part of delivering upon our customer uh, promise. Yeah, I think the work that you've done across these four or five companies has been absolutely fantastic because I think you've been able to thread across very different areas, different industries as well, to be able to drive, you know, some pretty big returns to the business. You know, we're going to talk all about that in just a second. But before we get into any of that, I want to start on a different note, because one of the things that I'm personally passionate about is helping to drive diversity in the workplace. And it's, it's a huge challenge, not just for my original industry or in function of IT, 
But as you well know, it's also a little bit of a challenge in supply chain. And, and you've been a role model and a champion here, right? Driving young talent and, and driving the need for upskilling and retraining and you know, so on and so forth. I want our listeners to hear from you on how you've been able to do this and what drove you into becoming a champion in this space. Yeah, it's good to hear we share that passion. For me, diversity in, in the teams is something that I actually think is, you know, an absolute must. Yeah. If you want to be successful, you would need to have within your team a diverse group of people that have a diverse way of thinking, a diverse way of acting, the more measurable elements of diversity, so gender diversity, yeah. religious diversity, different geographical areas, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. If I look at, especially my current team, I would say it is an extremely diverse team from people that we have blended that have worked for still working for many years with Philips, as well as people coming from outside with different experiences. But we also have a very nice blend on young, very promising talent. So we have the under 30 club. But these are very, very young talents and they're, you know, somewhere around 27, 28, up to 30 years old. But what they bring is really the digitalization with them. But not only the digitalization, also the e-commerce elements of what is needed. And then we blend that very nicely with, you know, people that are much more in the traditional elements of the supply chain. Uh, And altogether, my leadership team is highly diverse from the gender balance as well as nationalities. Mm. So we really have, if you look at the supply chain, we have built a supply chain with the talents across the globe. So basically Uh we can serve the globe in 24 hours and as well as, you know, very experienced and very young upcoming uh, talent. And it works very nice. It's a very nice uh, dynamic with a lot of energy. And I think that's what you need. That's what you want as, as, you know, a leader, a team that is highly energized. That's absolutely right. And what I like about this, Ivanka, is that people recognize, of course, that diversity is a business strategy, but it's really, really hard in many cases and in many organizations for them to make a difference, to evolve from you know, legacy organization structures and legacy people into a diverse team. But you're one of the success stories and you've kind of downplayed the, the push and the drive that you've had along the way in making this happen. But hey, you know, your results speak for themselves. And so congratulations. And to the point that you were making around how eventually some of this translates into digital literacy, that is the other thing that is uh, remarkable about Ivanka. So for somebody who's an expert supply chain leader, you're also hugely knowledgeable about digital transformation and advanced technology, including how is artificial intelligence and robotics changing the very way in which supply chain is being done. Now, one of the things that I'd like to hear from you is how exactly is it changing specifically warehousing and logistics and operations in general? You know, things such as forecasting and how this has been brought to life through COVID. Being knowledgeable in, in the digital space and, and using AI ML in our planning and forecasting processes, I, I have to admit, you know, I, I do a lot of reverse mentoring uh-huh. and, you know, also learn the new techniques. And one of the yeah. things that we, what we did is we initiated, and again, this is really done by the young talent within the supply chain. They organized a, a couple of months introduction course to Python, where, mm. you know, everybody that had an interest in the organization, not only in supply chain, could follow a Python course for, I believe it was three months. Mm. And for me, I, you know, I also participated in it just to get a feel for it. What, what is it? 
And I must say that, you know, there you also see that within uh, organizations, there is a huge appetite to learn new skills because we mm -hmm. had over 400 participants wow. uh, to learn this skill. Okay. So that, that's on one hand. So what we do is we are switching over for almost 100% over to AI-driven forecasting. Mm -hmm. So really demand sensing, using our algorithms, and we have an in-house versus outsourced solution. So we have a hybrid structure. So we have an, an, an external company helping us as well. We have our own data scientist team and our own algorithms. And what we want to achieve is that 80% of our forecast is being AI driven. Oh, okay. um, and out of that, we also want that it is going to be touchless. Mm -hmm. So of course it will take time before people learn on you know how you use the the AI driven forecast. What do you do with it? Especially if you have been a planner for many many years and you know the business inside out. Why would you all of a sudden start trusting an algorithm, a machine? Well, yeah. you think you can do better. But this is you know it's a it's a learning process. We go through the whole curve, and we see an enormous uplift in forecast accuracy. Not uh, everywhere. So that's in planning. If we look at logistics and what we call late customization centers, so where uh -huh. you know, we do the packaging for our customers yeah. at the last moment, there we go also into really using robotization, but also VR, AR in our processes to create the agility that we need. Okay. So it's not so much that we are looking for the cost savings on labor. The reality is that manual labor, especially blue collar labor, repetitive work, is something that is extremely difficult to source, right. uh, especially when you are with your DCs in areas where right. you know many others are. It's very difficult to find in the peak period the necessary labor. So we, we go into a combination of where we have cobots working alongside yes. uh, the people. And what it does to us, it, it gives us the agility. We can work 24-7. We have a steady output. But also, you know, certain things that we did do in the past, like a golden sample order, we don't use anymore, you know, making pictures and put it on the PowerPoint, send it somewhere for approval. No, we use a Google Glass or a VR solution okay. to really shorten the, the time between doing your golden sample, the go ahead, and then starting up your whole production line. So the needs is also on the engineering side, thinking differently. Yeah. Um, but it's also on the procurement side where, you know, we say, okay, do we really need to own all those cobots or can we yeah. go into a different concept yeah. where, you know, we basically lease them or we do exactly. anything, anything different. So that is, that's the journey that we are on. It's a very exciting journey. And we're really looking to design the supply chain from the customer back, create mm. it and test our own agility. And of course, we noticed that, you know, in certain elements, we were not as agile as we wanted to be. And that is what we are actively addressing. What I like about the examples that you shared is the specificity of the use case. You know, let's take planning. You want 80% of the actual planning to be done by robots. I think many organizations and many leaders have struggled with, you know, how do you trust a algorithm generated forecast over people's experience? But we know that eventually you get what you measure and the fact that you've been able to say, we want a forecast, which is mostly, and not just mostly, but maybe even 80% driven by the machine and 20% human, I think sets the tone. And the same is true for the clarity of what you were sharing, which is, you know, we're doing this not necessarily for labor when it comes to warehousing and logistics and, and having cobots, 
But, you know, we're doing this because we want the agility. And I think that's really what sets you and the work that you've done apart. Now, I want to stay on this topic just for a second, if you don't mind, Ivanka. You've talked about how COVID has really tested the issue of agility. What do you think you and the rest of the supply chain industry has learned about agility from the COVID experience? Yeah, of course, you know, like many other companies, we have done a lot of post-COVID, even if we're still in COVID, but let's see the first phase of COVID evaluation on, okay, what have we now learned from it? And, yeah. and one of the, the biggest learnings we have is the data availability and the transparency in the end-to-end supply chain. Mm-hmm. But when we had to start ramping up for our ventilator business, you know, a ventilator is made out of thousands of parts. Yeah. And then those parts consist of another, you know, thousands of parts with tier two and tier three suppliers and having that transparency on what are the specific parts that we need, get the information from our tier one, two and three suppliers on their capacity, on their ability to deliver on our ambition to scale up whatever the number was that we were scaling up to. That really was a lesson learned. For me, the biggest learning is really having all this data available and really having your dashboards, being able to make decisions on real-time data uh, where you say, okay, you know, here I I really need to intervene or here we need to have a second source, whatever the decision is. Yeah. And then I think also the collaboration along the chain. So the collaboration with your partners, your suppliers, your logistics partners, or anyone else that can come and help you to scale up. Mm. Or in certain cases, we had to scale down as well. Because having the different parts of the business, we also had parts where the demand was dropping. Mm -hmm. So this rapid scaling up and rapid scaling down is something that we have learned during COVID. And it's also something that we have said that what we learned during COVID, we should actually keep because decision making became much faster and much more focused on what really matters. That's certainly something that I hear from several other leaders, which is, The importance of making sure that the world doesn't go back to normal, so to speak, especially when it comes to the gains of agility, because the industry is never going to go back to slower and and less effective ways of working once the pandemic is, is done. And that takes me to another area, Ivanka. Many leaders at the board and at the CEO level struggle with what's the role of humans versus robots. You're one of those that has a very clear idea, you know, like the example of late stage customizations and so on and so forth that you talked about. So for our listeners, could you talk about how you see the role of humans versus robotics in particular? Yeah, no, I I think what robotics will do and cobots and robots, they will tackle, let's say, supply chain issues that we have had for a long time. And, you know, I do those peer-to-peer conversations with peer chief of supply chain officers. And and in many cases, a lot of companies, they talk about the same problems, but we talk about those problems for 10, 15, 20 years. If you think about sales forecasting accuracy, it's a headache for every company. But what happens is that because the consumers, us as consumers, our customers, they have changed the behavior. So all the online buying the explosion of SKUs of the products that are at reach for consumers, it is almost humanly not possible anymore to start forecasting this. You know, there is this absolute necessity 
to have something that is replacing this. So yes, on the one hand side, let's say a traditional demand planner role will change. Mm. It will change from, you know, making your traditional bottom-up plan to someone who's going to manage the data and the information, who, who understands what to do with that. And then, of course, in the background, those algorithms, they have to be built and they have to become more sophisticated. So you create different jobs. And for me, and in the beginning, we started with diversity and inclusion. It is is very important in the today's supply chain is the reskilling of capabilities. Uh uh And, you know, hence also the example of providing a Python course, introduction course to the organization, create the appetite for people, but also take the myth away that the algorithms is, in our case, built in India. No, this is a skill, and this is a skill that everybody can learn. And if you have an interest, you can reskill yourself and, and basically, you know, have a different job in the future. And for me, it's the same with using cobots and robotization in our operations, whether that is in the manufacturing sites or our distribution centers, et cetera, et cetera. A lot of the work is very repetitive. If you see some of the jobs, they shouldn't exist anymore. More because it's not fulfilling for an individual to do every day, day in, day out, the same routine activities. But what will come back is maintenance or more technology-driven jobs in this space. But I think where we are today in the supply chain is that we're really almost at the tipping point where you still have the traditional supply chain methodology and setup and and everything comes with it. But we slowly go to this tipping point where robotics, analytics, robotization, automation is going to be the norm. But it is not the norm yet, but it will push itself to it. And I think COVID has really helped to make that shift much faster than we would have ever done. Oh, absolutely. There's absolutely no doubt about it. And the thing that drives me nuts about this debate of, you know, robots versus humans is how often it's positioned as a win-lose kind of proposition, which is, you know, if 40% of the manufacturing jobs in the next nine years are going to be done by robots, this is a lose proposition for human. And the examples that you and thought leaders like you share is that that's not necessarily true. It's part of the natural evolution. You can continue to move people up the ladder in terms of value creation and their own Mm -hmm. skill sets and better careers and so on and so forth. And so, of course, there's going to be a change. And, you know, whenever there's a change, there's going to be a spectrum. I mean, some people are going to adapt quicker. But the fact of the matter is it does not have to be win-lose. And I think what you have demonstrated is exactly that, which is you can drive a strategy, you know, Python programming, 400 people attending it, you know, that's how you do it. So again, I absolutely love the story, Ivanka, because I think we need more stories to demonstrate how the future, you know, is not necessarily scary if you take charge. Yeah. No, and, you know, in my team, I, I have roles that I have never done in my career in, in supply chain either. But this is all related to the technology has to be built. Mm. We need to make sure that where we have a problem that we want to solve with technology, that we have you know, people that know how to do that. So you, you create also not only the manual labor activities, but you create a whole different industry mm-hmm. around finding the right technological answers to mm-hmm. the issues that we are facing. But I think this is the moment where you know people feel maybe a little bit anxious on, okay, robots are coming in, algorithms are taking over my intelligence. 
But at a certain point of time, you have completely reskilled the supply chain capabilities and there's no win-lose situation anymore. No, it's all win because we have the need for different capabilities going forward. Oh, there's there's absolutely no doubt about it. And in in fact, you know, there is a shortage of that skill set. And so this is is, is essentially helping there. And again, this is a fascinating topic. Now I'm going to go to a fourth aspect of the conversation here, which is another passion area of yours, which is sustainability. This is another thing that you and I both have in common. You've mentioned that supply chain plays a huge role there. And so can you share with our listeners how you have approached supply chain's role in driving sustainability? Yeah, so there are a few things. And I start with the one that I'm the most passionate about and also I think is going to have huge opportunities going forward. Mm-hmm. And that is really designing packaging for e-commerce. Mm-hmm. And if you look normally in packaging is designed so it captures the eye of the consumer on the shelf. Yeah. But it comes with a lot of plastic, a lot of air, a lot of boxing, a lot of glossy outside packaging. Uh, whatsoever. From a supply chain point of view, it's disastrous. You know, you you transport so much air. So, you know, it is not only costly, it's also from a sustainability perspective, it's not desirable. And so what we have done is we we really looked for very minimalized packaging in all aspects, but it, it still has a very good functionality and you can still make it funky. And, you know, that it appeals to to the consumer. Mm -hmm. But what we did is really taking out all the air in the packaging and make it in such a way that it is very flat. It fits into a letterbox. It weighs almost nothing. The packaging itself weighs almost nothing versus Mm -hmm. the product. There's no plastic anymore. Mm -hmm. And then on top of it, the requirement I had as well there was that it needs to be fit for automation. So it can't be highly complex where you need to have people folding it in in 60,000 different ways, but it it needs to be able to be managed by automation or a robot. That is one of the elements. And I I believe I've even posted on LinkedIn a video on on how that looks like. You know, going forward is a must because you reduce the air also, you know, also the shipment. During shipment, the air we took out was 66%. That is massive. The other element where we are very keen on is everything related to air freight. And then, of course, much more in our manufacturing side, where we have said we really want to go into 100% renewable energy, uh, where feasible, we use uh, solar energy, uh, wind energy, and, and, and things like that. But I do think that the supply chain really can contribute to the sustainability agenda. Also, this today I read an article about all the returns on e-commerce where big retailers like Walmart, Amazon actually is making a call out to the consumers to not return so much anymore because it it is incredibly wasteful. You know, all this return logistics, everything has to go onto a truck being unpacked and, you know, a lot of stuff is being thrown away. And I think that's good that retailers are really reaching out to consumers and work together with consumers to be much more mindful of what you order and what you return. And also, you know, in Philips, we, we really look into our, what we call the scrap and obsolescence processes, but also in our return policies and not, you know, solely with the, the mindset of cost, but also very much of the mindset of sustainability. Oh, absolutely. And they absolutely go together in terms of the value proposition to the consumers, you know, 
reducing waste and doing good for the environment have such a synergistic effect. And this is all different from the approach that, you know, in the early days of sustainability, this was thought to be a negative for the consumers. It doesn't have mm-hmm. to be a negative. So that's fabulous. Now, uh, Ivanka, one of the things I like to do in these conversations is to have our listeners kind of pick your brains in terms of lessons learned or some advice. So for the aspiring Ivankas out there, you know, anywhere in the world, any gender, any background, what does it take to be successful in the supply chain arena today? First and foremost, for me is stay true to yourself. Mm. Be yourself, always be yourself. And live up to your own aspirations and dreams. You know, whatever you you want to achieve, believe in it that you can achieve it. Mm-hmm. And then I think the, the, the second one for me to be successful is that you need to continuously develop yourself. Mm-hmm. And, and that is even more true in today's environment. You cannot stand still. You cannot rely on past experience because your past experience is very, very quickly outdated. So you have to continue to develop yourself and leverage platforms that you know are, are out there. A lot of great development opportunities you find on you know the website where you have free education, yeah. and I use them a lot. And it's not that I always go through the whole course, but you can pick a few things and you educate yourself. And a lot of that of it is done with video. It's an easy way of learning, but continuously develop yourself. And then the third one for me is, and sometimes it's painful, but I think it is a necessity is look for the feedback. Mm-hmm. Always ask feedback to your peers, to your subordinate, to your bosses, to your customers, to whoever you want to have feedback from. Yeah. And then getting the feedback, but then more importantly, do something with it. Yeah. And, you know, and if you get into this, then maybe the first time, you hear feedback that you don't want to hear so much, but if you do continuous feedback, you you hear less and less feedback you don't want to hear. So maybe the beginning's a bit tough, but afterwards it gets much, much easier. And and you learn from it and it keeps you sharp. And then for me in the feedback session as well is do reverse mentoring. Choose one or two very young talents in, in your organization and let them talk to you. Let them tell you what they think that you should change. And Questions I ask is, okay, how do you want to be managed? What is important to you? Mm -hmm. But also do something with it. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, if you're you're in a position where you can change these kind of things, do it. Don't just hear it and don't do anything with it. But actively change things that are important for the next generation of supply chain leaders. So for me, these are the top three elements to really be successful. And they they sound maybe like an open door, but it really works. So if you can really be yourself at work the way you want to be, you are at your best. If you continue to develop yourself, you will always be one, two, three steps ahead of whoever else out there. And if you continuously seek for the feedback, you grow as an individual. That's what makes every individual successful, whether you're in supply chain or not. Absolutely. Ivanka, you know, those three elements are applicable in any situation. And ladies and gentlemen, there you have it, the secret to Ivanka's success. Ivanka Janssen, it's been an absolute pleasure to speak with you. 
And I know we're going to have to dig deeper into several of these areas, you know, maybe have you come back on the show at another time, because there's so much that we could continue to talk about. But uh, I've really enjoyed it. And I wish you all the very best in your expanded role at uh, Phillips. Thank you, Tony. And it was a great pleasure. You're a great conversation partner. Oh, that's very nice. Thank you. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that's it for today. As is always the case, thank you for listening in and make sure you subscribe to our show to keep getting new updates. And until next time, don't just implement planning, redefine it. Thank you for listening to Masters of Digital Transformation. For more information, be sure to check out www.09solutions.com slash aim10x.